Well, afternoon. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Jordan. I haven't just let someone walk off the street uh, and, and preach and be up here. I'm uh, one of the student ministers at Snack this year. Uh, and it's been a real joy to be with you so far. And so it's, it's a pleasure now to, to open God's word with you and, and see what he has to tell us. Um, it, it's been a big week for me. Uh, it was Super Bowl week. Now, to most people, that's just Monday. But for me, I love Super Bowl. I love the NFL. Are there any NFL fans? Any pe- oh, Simon, we, we'll talk about it later. That's good. Uh, the rest of you are just normal people. That's good. That's good. What's that? You're a Swifty. Well, she was at the Super Bowl. And if Taylor Swift is there, that's really just all you need to know, isn't it? Um, I, I really enjoyed the Super Bowl. Uh, and I think one of the things I found uh, very impressive was the Chiefs won it this year. It means nothing if you don't care about it, I guess. But they've won it twice in a row now, which is very impressive. But they get up at the end and they, and they celebrate winning, you know, the biggest achievement of their life, the thing that they've worked all of their life towards. They've won it. Now they've won it twice in a row. And they, someone gets up at the end and, you know, how are you going? And, and the first player says, we're going to be back next year and we're going for three. Oh, wow. Like, of all the things you could say, of all the things you could revel in and enjoy the moment of what you've just worked your whole life towards, the only thing that could come into his mind was, we've got to go again. We've got to go again. I'll enjoy this for just a moment, but we need three in a row. And I thought, wow, what, what an impressive drive that person has, that they must have to be able to do that, right? That's impressive. And I think we see that thing impressive in lots of kinds of people, don't we? We saw it then. I, I watched the Michael Jordan documentary with my wife. I was named after Michael Jordan. Fun fact, I'm a spitting image, as you can, uh, as you can see. But again, he was like, he's a little bit crazy when, when you hear him speak. He's so driven on being the best, on being the best, on winning and winning and winning over and over again. I I saw the Napoleon movie with a friend recently. And again, the drive that this man had, again, a very different field than basketball, right? But he, he needed, he couldn't help but conquer and conquer and conquer. It's a terrible movie, don't watch it. Now, perhaps there's someone in, in your life that you can think of who's just very driven in the life that they have, or the industry that you've worked in or are working in currently, that they just seem to be able to keep on going and going and do better and better and better. It's impressive, isn't it? There's something about it that, that is alluring. My, uh, my brother-in-law, he will be on holiday, you know, hard-earned holidays, and he'll get up early and go for a run. And I'll look at that. I'm like, you know you don't need to do that, right? You can... You're allowed to sleep in. That's what I do. I recommend it. It's really nice. But he has this drive. He just can't help but run. There's this inner goal within people that drives them, that dictates their actions, that, that their thoughts are actually filtered through, that guides their decisions. It drives their life. And I wonder what that is for you. What is the thing that drives you? Now, again... I don't think many of us have won a Super Bowl or anything like that, but, but just in our day-to-day life, what are the things that drive you? The filter that you run decisions through, that guides your actions. What is the central thing for you that other things revolve around? I think we've all got something or things that make up the thing that drives us, that pushes us in our life. Perhaps it is success in whatever field you're in. That's a common one. Perhaps it's recognition from people. Perhaps it's, it's, it's working hard to make money so that you can be secure and stable. Perhaps something a bit different. Perhaps it's family, building a family, thinking of those around me that I love, my friends, 
Perhaps it's you finished working now, now, and now it's about what can I do, what can I work my life around, my leisure, the things that I can do to enjoy me time. Now, there's a whole host of possibilities, isn't there? But what is it for you? What is it for you? As we come to Acts 14 uh, this afternoon, we, we get to see some quite incredible encounters, I think, uh, of particularly Paul and Barnabas. But behind these events, you see things happen, but behind them, you actually get uh, a little gaze into the thing that drives them, that everything they think about and do is focused on this thing that drives them. And so we're going we're to look at that this afternoon, but as we do so, I hope it's a time that a mirror is really held up to us. As we see them and what drives and guides their life, I wonder what guides yours. And so I trust it'll be a really helpful time. What is driving you? Let's jump into it. There's a couple of episodes for us to look at. Uh, we're going to get to three of them together. We're in the book of Acts, uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks with us. Uh, in the book of Acts, Jesus has died, he's risen, he's ascended, and now he's sent out people to spread the gospel message. And that's been going on for a bunch of chapters so far. Uh, and the couple of people involved here in, in Acts 14 are Paul and Barnabas. They've been going around doing just that work, spreading the gospel, the message of Jesus, his death and resurrection. In chapter 13, they're in a place called Antioch, that's uh, modern-day Turkey, and, and there people believe and they trust in Jesus. But at the same time, many hate them. They hate the things they're doing, they hate the things they're bringing, and you see this really clearly at the end of chapter 13. 1351, they leave Iconium. They leave Iconium, and that is, let me see if I can get this. Boom! There we go. I was hoping that would work. They head off to the green line all the way to Iconium there. And look at 14 verse 1 with me. The same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. And so again, they preached the gospel and people come to trust in Jesus. Whenever they preach the gospel, people come to trust in Jesus. But again, the same message produce hostility as well. Follow along in verse 2. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the mind of the Gentiles against the brothers. Now, like, like we said before, this isn't a new experience for Paul and Barnabas, but you can't imagine it's, it's a pleasant one, can you? A whole group of people who hate them. And so what would you expect them to do? What would you expect a whole group of people are rallying against them and are poisoning the minds of people against them. That is strong language, isn't it? What would you expect them to do? Look at verse 3. So, notice this. So, they stayed there for some time. Now, that is an interesting so, isn't it? Given, the, given what's gone on for them. Because people were rising up against them. Because some people trusted in Jesus and some people hated them, because of that, they stayed there. Now, wouldn't you think, cut your losses. Get out. What are these people going to do to you? They clearly hate you. Get out. But they stay. Because of that, they stay. Now, you might think, well, hopefully those people who aren't very fond of them might calm down after a little while. They do their breathing exercises, they think it over, we're being a bit rash here. But look at verse 5. 
They tried to kill him. It escalates and escalates. And only after that do they move on. But why do they leave? Is it a holiday? It's finally time for some rest. If someone tried to kill me, I'd probably take, you know, a couple of days off, maybe. But why do they leave? Look at verse 6. They fled to Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derby and the surrounding countryside, and there they kept evangelizing, spreading the gospel. You cannot stop these people. They just keep going. Now, we'll come to the next town in in just a moment, but before we do, it's worth noticing a couple of things uh, about the gospel that they brought. And here's one particular one. When the gospel is brought somewhere, no matter who brings it, there will be two responses. The same gospel message, two different responses. There are people who believe it, who love it, who trust Jesus because of it, and there are those people who are hostile to it. This is part and parcel with sharing the gospel. It is the very nature of the gospel. Elsewhere, when Paul's speaking about this, he talks about how, how to some, the gospel is a fragrance of life, you know, a, a beautiful smell, a great aroma, but to others, an odor of death. The same thing. It's a bit, it's a bit like um, coriander, Coriander to some is beautiful. I love coriander. I'll put it on anything. I love it. But to some, there's actually this, this gene in them that means it tastes like, um, like dish soap. It's disgusting. And so the same ingredient that to some makes a dish pop and is amazing and beautiful and fresh and fragrant, to others means the whole thing is inedible. It's disgusting. They, they can't have a bar of it. It is the same with the gospel. The gospel goes out, but it will always be met by trusting in Jesus by some and hostility in the other, which I think for us is a great reminder, do not be discouraged when sharing the gospel. There will be times, perhaps mostly times, when people reject the gospel that you share. That is part and parcel with sharing the gospel. It doesn't mean the gospel doesn't work. It doesn't mean it isn't powerful. It doesn't mean it can't save. It just has that effect on some people. And so when it happens, we're not to be surprised. We ought ought to mourn it. Oh, I wish that these people would come to trust in Jesus. But do not be surprised and keep going, keep going, keep going. We'll move on to the, the second episode here. They eventually do move on, like we said, and they head to a town called Lystra. Now, this is a little bit of a backwater town. It's less Darling Harbour and more Punchbowl or something. You know, it's not, it's not the really exciting city. It's just another city. And they head there. Uh, and verse 8, they find a man who can't walk. And something incredible happens. They heal the man who was never able to walk in his life, and they heal him. But see the response of the onlookers in verse 11. Do you have it there? 14 verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. They are astonished. They think these guys in front of them are Greek gods. No one's thought that of me before. Disappointing. 
Look, they say Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And then it gets even more crazy. It escalates and escalates and escalates. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended, with the crowds, to offer sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. They think they're gods. Now, for many people, this is the thing of dreams, actually, isn't it? Honour, power, glory, fame, to be thought of as a god. But to Paul and Barnabas, look at them in verse 14. The apostles, Barnabas and Paul, tore their robes when they heard this. This is not like a Hulk out kind of moment. This is, this is devastated, mourning, Weeping. How could this possibly happen? Why? Why do they respond this way? Well, keep reading. Man, why are you doing these things? Verse 15. We are just men also with the same nature as you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God. I think two big things stick out. The first is this. The honour of God is central in their mind. The honour of God. They could not stand the thought that something that should only be attributed to their God, honour, praise, worship, sacrifice, would be offered to them. They couldn't bear that thought. Only God, they know, is worthy of these things that these people are trying to offer them. It's the God, verse 15, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. They weren't flattered to receive this glory. They were, they were horrified. Only God is worthy of it. But here's the other thing I think is going on for them, and it's the bigger thing. They see the salvation of these people as critical the salvation of people. Look at verse 15 again. They say, why are you doing these things where people just like you, we're proclaiming the good news to you. Now, what is the good news? That you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth and the sea, etc. The good news that they are proclaiming is there is a living God. The things that they have been wor- worshipping are dead. They're mute They're lifeless, but there is a living God. And more than that, there's a living God who will actually let them turn to him. That is the gospel news. That's what they know. And now through the message of Jesus and his death and resurrection, people can actually come to know the living God, the true God. But if they were to worship anything else like they are clearly prone to here, They will not see life. They will be condemned by God. It is so clearly in his mind. And so they cannot help but use this moment as a moment to plead with these people. Turn to the living God. That is the thing they care about more than anything else. See, there's only two things you can worship. The living God or idols. The living God or idols. 
Now, there are a lot of other religions in our world who follow other gods, whether it be Islam and Allah, whether it be Hinduism and a vast array of gods, whether it's more new age and is the universe itself. In fact, there's no such thing as someone who doesn't worship. Gods just look different. Perhaps it's power, fame, like we spoke of, money, And any worshipper is worthy of being loved, but we must not fall into the trap of our day that says that all of these paths are equally valid. Paul says there is one living and true God. One. That's not very PC, is it? That's not a very kind thing to say, people might might say. No, Everyone can have their own way, and that is good, isn't it? Well, not if there is only one living God, and all others are false. And so when Paul sees these people come to him and offer worship and praise, he says, no, no, no. There is one living God. Turn to him. Can you see the thing that is driving Paul and Barnabas here? Can you see it? They see so clearly that people need to be saved. They see so clearly there is only one way that has been opened up by the life and death of the Lord Jesus. They see it so clearly, the honour of God. They are willing to undergo anything to see people come to be saved. Could you imagine if we told the gospel to people with the perseverance and ferocity of these two. It's incredible, isn't it? And you see it in action, I I think, in the the next section, perhaps more than any other, as we come towards the end of our time. Look in verse 19. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now this, before we go on, this is a long journey, all right? This is a long way that these people have come to hunt down Paul and Barnabas. This is uh, like 160 Ks. There's no West Connects This is a long time that they have these guys on their mind. And when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. They did such a good job of throwing rocks at him that they go, he's done. He is dead. Get rid of him. Verse 20, after the disciples surrounded him, he got up and he went into the next town. Can you imagine that? Can you see his drive? Firstly, what a change from the crowds, from sacrifice to stoning in a matter of moments, it seems. He moves on. And why does he move on? Well, have a look. Verse 21. After they'd evangelized that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And catch this, verse 22 strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they're not telling people who don't know the gospel the gospel, they're telling people who do know the gospel the gospel, strengthening them to keep trusting in Jesus. Now, not many of us may be kicked out of the town for spreading the gospel, but the promise here is that anyone 
who wants to come into the kingdom of heaven will do so through suffering, through hardship. Here are some quotes from a a best-selling Christian book. you find this in any Christian bookshop. Before we were formed, he prepared us to live abundantly, to be healthy, happy, whole, blessed and prosperous. If you build for yourself an image of success, wealth, abundance, joy, peace, happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold these things from you. If you expect that in this life, you will not make it into the kingdom of heaven. That is not the promise here, is it? That is not remotely close. I've had friends who started the Christian walk expecting something more like that. And they do not trust Jesus now. Because that is not what is promised. Hear these words, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. How will you make it through? How will you make it trusting in Jesus? You need to be strengthened, to be built up. And I trust that many of you who have followed Jesus far longer than I have know that too well, right? But you also know that it is worth it following Jesus and trusting in Jesus. And I think what we need is the drive that Paul has. The drive that sees that there is no other way apart from the Lord Jesus. That whatever will come, I will keep trusting him. I will keep trusting him. I will keep trusting him. As we come to the end of our time, what would it look like if this drove your life? If this was actually the thing that drove us? The problem here is that it's countless, right? But here's a couple. First, you wouldn't miss gathering with God's people. See, if you catch what Paul's saying there at the end, you'll catch that people who trust in Jesus need to be strengthened to keep trusting in Jesus. It's not a one and done. Yes, saved once and for all, but to keep hearing the gospel and be formed and changed and shaped and strengthened to keep trusting him when the suffering that is promised comes. And that is what this is. Amongst other things, this is the the time where we come together as God's people to hear him speak to us in his word so he might strengthen us. He does the same thing as we take the Lord's Supper. He strengthens us in the faith. So make this unmissable. Second, Give sacrificially to gospel work. Give sacrificially to gospel work. The amount that you grasp these things will be seen in the amount that you sacrifice for the gospel and gospel work. Now, how, how would you work that out if you, if you are or aren't doing that? Well, one diagnostic question is this. If someone else were to look at your life, what would they say drove you? Because I can trick myself. What would someone else say as they looked at my life? What would they say drove me? How I spend my time, my energy, my money. To live a life that is driven by the gospel, that is sacrificial for the gospel, means that money will be left on the table. That there will be roles at work that you do not take. That there will be hobbies that you can't pursue. That there will be holidays that you can't go on that there will be me time that is interrupted. 
Now, they are nice things in life, but they, they make terrible drivers of your life. Sacrifice for the gospel. But why in the world would you sacrifice those things? The honour of God and the salvation of people, that more might come to know the Lord Jesus. Will you join in this gospel work? What will drive your life? Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks for the gospel. We thank you that by the death and resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus, there is a way for people to be saved. And we thank you for those of us who have put our trust in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you have done that work in us. We ask that you would change us and shape us and make us more and more like Jesus, such that we are equipped and strengthened and built up for the suffering we know will come in this life. And also so that we might be those who live sacrificially for the gospel. So please work that in us by your spirit, we ask. Amen.